This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 38, Dialogue with John Scalzi. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. I'm John. John, my nemesis, actually. Yes. Um, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Nemesis. Um, I am carefully sitting between... <laughs> John Scalzi and the man uh, from whose grasp Scalzi, Blaine, yes. Scalzi Bane slipped yes, on the way yes. to this Scalzi uh, convention. Scalzi Bane, which will someday shed the blood of Sc- John Scalzi, the pen um, destined to to end Scalzi's uh, pitiful existence. Thank you for being on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I might have mentioned that um, he's my nemesis, but I'm not his. Um, <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, we really do appreciate John, a fantastic writer, being on the podcast with us. And um, we want to talk about dialogue. Sure. um, Because you're good at dialogue. Yes, I've heard. Um, You actually are quite good. So give us some advice. Let's just start it off. Um, Do you have tips? Tips for writing dialogue? Yeah. The first tip that I have, especially for science fiction and fantasy writers, is start reading outside of science fiction and fantasy and looking specifically at dialogue. And the reason for this is because I have a theory of science fiction dialogue, Ooh. which relates to science fiction uh, writers and science fiction fans in of themselves. If you've noticed, and I'm sure you may have, uh, science fiction uh, fans and writers talk differently than normal people. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. As a matter of fact, they do. I know it is shocking. And Quoth he knowingly. <laughs> 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 and there is a reason for that. Uh, normal people... Uh, <laughs> Yep. Sorry, but normal people uh, learn uh, to speak to each other by speaking to each other, right? Indeed. Indeed. Uh, science fiction fans, and sci- we, all, many of whom become science fiction writers, learn to speak by reading dialogue. So they pick up the books, they see how people are speaking to each other in books, and they're like, so this is how that's done. And the problem with that is that dialogue is not actually speech. It is a speech-like yeah. uh, process that, I- that exists to convey information in a story. Dialogue is, dialogue is a, uh, a caricature to speech. Right. Uh, dialogue is to actual speech as uh, the cartoonist's line art is to fine oils. Yes, that's, uh, that's actually an apt analogy. Wow. Well done, you. Man. Thanks. I, we can end now. That was beautiful. Yeah. Thank okay. you. This has been yeah, writing excuses. <laughs> two minutes. Two no, no. Time. No, actually, well, let, me, let me continue anyway. Please. Um, but, so, but the thing is, is so that uh, what happens is so science fiction uh, readers, the way that you can tell is like, for example, you ask a normal person, so how's your day? They're like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, you know, doing all right. Got, got attacked by a cow. You know, that sort of things. Um, <laughs> That's the normal person? I don't know. Well, I don't <laughs> so know where you, you live. <laughs> Where I live, you know, these, these bovine attacks have been increasing and it's been a terrible thing, but mm. that's an entirely different podcast. But you ask a science fiction fan or a fantasy fan, so how have, you know, how have you been? And they go, wow. And then they go through the menu in the brain, a drop-down menu of uh, how do I respond to this and, and all these things going around and around until they find the sentence that at most aptly does that, and then right. they'll sort of embroider it and try to put some humor in it, convey all that information. I, I think you're... A you're implying a lot more social uh, awareness on, 
you know. I think the drop-down menu might just be 404 not found. Oh, person <laughs> speaking to me in real life. Get out my phone and text them. Right. George Carlin know? once said, um, I'm not unwell, thank you. Right, yeah. exactly. So, but the thing is, is that, so if you basically have that speech as, uh, as dialogue, what happens is later, when you become a writer and you start doing dialogue, you know how you make, if you make a photocopy of a photocopy right, that gets kind of smudged? Right. If you do a dialogue that is based on somebody's speech being dialogue, mm -hmm. eventually it becomes this highly stylized thing, which is fine in its way, but... Right. To, to go back to my metaphor, that would be like a, a wannabe cartoonist learning to draw not by looking at life and, uh, and creating a shorthand, but by looking at what other cartoonists are doing and creating a shorthand from there, which is what I did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. So what I would cringe. <laughs> anyway. So what I suggest that people do. It's a cave painting. <laughs> The first way the first way to break out of this is mm -hmm. to start reading in other genres and yeah. other, you know, uh, read some romance, read some mystery, read some, you know, literary fiction. And you are still reading dialogue, which is still right. this highly stylized thing, but at the same time, you they the way that that dialogue is crafted mm -hmm. is a lot different. I mean, one of the things that I tell people is the way that I, my dialogue comes from science fiction to some extent, like people like Heinlein and right. Piper and, right. and stuff like that. But uh, I also get my you know, tips from uh, Carl Hyacin. I get them from Elmer Leonard. I get them from uh, Gregory McDonald who did the wonderful Fletch books. Uh -huh. um, and just looking at how they solve the dialogue problem makes it makes a huge difference. Um, another thing that I really suggest for people, because this comes from my own experience, I was a movie critic for a number of years, right? Um, and so I watched a lot of, of films. Cinematic dialogue. Right. And cinematic dialogue, which is amazing because they, uh, if you have a good screenwriter, um, they can do amazing things with dialogue that you're just, you know, because it's live, you can see how they do overlapping. They see right. all these sorts of things. Some of my favorite uh, screenwriters, like for example, um, in Tootsie, you know, Larry Gelbart, Elaine May, you know, just how they do the back and forth and, and how it works and it's so snappy. Um, and you, if you can incorporate some of that into fantasy and science fiction, right. it makes a huge difference. It makes it seem so much more fresh because they're not people are getting a new type of rhythm to the right. dialogue. My editor um, actually forced me to watch which I never watched, and I'm glad he did, forced me to watch The Thin Man. Oh, um, God, that's when wonderful. I, when I was trying to work on some of my dialogue to, to punch it up a bit, he said, you need to watch this film three or four times sure. and figure out what's going on there and learn to do it. And it was wonderful advice. Um, and, you know, Thin Man is a, a, a classic half-screwball comedy, half-mystery. Sure. Um, but with just really great writing. Mm. Um, and this is interesting to talk to you about because I, I really assumed when you began this you were going to take us the... Um, science fiction and fantasy dialogue is not realistic, and you should go to these others to find more realistic dialogue. But that's not where you took it. No. You're just trying to get people to break out of their genre conventions to give a freshness to their writing. Right. And there's two things to be said there. I mean, one, um, w one this is an easy way to do it. Yeah. But the second thing is, the, uh, when you're talking about dialogue, you do have to understand it really isn't speech. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with saying, understand your artifice. You right. Know, uh, because if we did a lot of speech, basically what we would end up doing is we would have pages and pages of ums and ahs and certain right. locutions and people not actually getting around to the, the example, point. The example that I give, uh, look, at a, look at a romantic comedy yeah. on film, which is, you know, a 95-minute you know, film. Right. Um, now look at, you know, in your own life, that experience you had 
where you and your, you and your uh, girlfriend or boyfriend were having the define the relationship talk. <laughs> okay, that conversation lasted probably half again as long as that whole romantic comedy movie. And that romantic comedy movie had a define the relationship conversation in it mm -hmm. that covered all of the high points of the one you had mm -hmm. and all of that emotional range, and it might have lasted three minutes. Right. It's it's a very highly efficient, stylized form of transmitting information that seems plausible coming out of somebody's yeah. mouth. Right, and, and that I think that's the most important part plausible. is the plausibility. Plausibility. Um, what you're trying to do with dialogue is you want it to feel real but not be real. Right, exactly. Um, and anytime it stops feeling real, you're kind of straying outside. You're going, you're, you're distracting from the text. But anytime it starts to get too real, you'll actually do the same thing. Mm -hmm. People will stop to pull out of the text and be distracted, maybe even be bored, whatever. Right. And so there's that sweet spot in the middle. Yeah. And it's hard for a lot of people, it's hard for a lot of people to hit. I think part of it is, again, going back to science fiction and fantasy writers, a lot of them come out of of fandom, a lot of them right. come out from, from the nerd point of view, and you know, we're all nerds here, so it's right. not like, you know, we're not talking out of school or, or bringing it down, but it's, it very much is a thing of, um, we don't speak like other people right. do. You know what I've, I've noticed, um, particularly from new writers in, the, in these genres, they tend to go too long. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of, they want to hit every point in every paragraph, they want to make sure it's very well explained and the logic is all there. And so you end up with essentially character one steps up in monologues. Right. And then character two, two returns a monologue as if you were giving an email exchange arguing a point with someone. Yeah. Well, what it is is that they're trying to do a Socratic argument. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Socratic arguments are fun if you're, you know, Socrates. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, if you're, but if you're not, then it become, becomes a, a thing of, you know, well, as you know, Bob, here yeah. we are trapped on the spaceship. And now it's Hayden Butler. Yeah. Right, exactly. And you just got to say, you have to stop it. And uh, like I said, this is where you go back and you say, you know, how have other people cracked this nuts? Uh, and in specific, like I said, the great thing about movies is yeah. they, they have to do it in a very compact space yeah. and time. They have to do it usually within two hours. They've got a whole bunch of stuff to cover. Right. And, um, and, and the, the reader only gets one pass. Right, yeah. exactly. Well, and most of the, the screenwriters are doing it primarily through the dialogue. Right. They're not allowed a lot of the, how shall we say, um, crutches that we get through they're, narrative. Yeah, they're not allowed the, the third-person limited uh, see into the guy's head. When I, was, uh, when I was a movie critic, I went and did the press junket for Jurassic Park, and I interviewed Michael Crichton. Okay. And Michael Crichton was talking about the differences between uh, movies and, and books. And he said, look, you know, in a, in a book, a book is 400 pages long. A screenplay, if you were to format it the same way as a book, would be 40 pages long. So automatically, you're losing 90%. Mm -hmm. Some of that will be compensated for because it's a visual medium. Right. Be that as it may, you still have to say, I have all this information. How am I going to collate it and put it and get it in there and still make it seem like it's related to the original story? Now, I don't suggest mm -hmm. that writers start writing like they're writing movie scripts mm -hmm. or you know any of that sort of stuff. But what I, what I think they should do is look at it with the critical of eye of how are they doing this? Why are they doing this? And what choices can you take? You can learn a few things. Yeah, you absolutely you can. You just don't want to. Anyway, we do need to get to our book of the week. Um, mm -hmm. And not surprisingly, it's a book written by John Scalzi. He is an amazing, amazing oh, yes, author. That guy. Um, I love him. <laughs> um, the, the book I have, which is coming out, is called Fuzzy Nation, which is a reboot of the 1962 Little Fuzzy by H. Beam Piper. It is uh, very much like a reboot of like they did with Star Trek, uh, hopefully with better science. Um, 
And it's coming out on May 10th, and I will actually be starting my book tour then. Um, additionally, it's coming out in a number of formats then, hardcover, but it's also coming out in audio, which will be available from Audible. And our, ask me who my narrator is. Who's your narrator? I'm glad you asked. It's Will Wheaton. TV's Ooh. Will Wheaton. TV's Will Wheaton. Wait, Star Trek's Will Wheaton. No, no, no evil Will Wheaton. Evil, yeah. you know, he's... Yeah. Is he the good one or the evil one? The, the Big Bang. Well, it's odd because as you listen to the story, you will find a, a sort of Will Wheaton Easter egg in there, okay. which makes it especially juicy that it is Will Wheaton, of all people, who is my narrator. I'm tremendously excited. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited about it. So you can go out to uh, audible.com and uh, pick up, by the time this podcast airs, yep. you yeah. should be able to uh, pick that up. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, and you can kick off a 14-day trial membership. Um, and get uh, Fuzzy Nation for free. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna fire one more question at you here, John. Shoot. Um, how do you think? Um, what is the best way to convey that feeling that this dialogue is real without actually being real? Is, is are there tricks? You know, I've I've mentioned before that writing is much like um, it's much like stage magic, mm -hmm. where you know you're wiggling one hand and drawing people's attention while you're doing something important with your other hand. And I find dialogue a lot like that, where you are you are doing you're using smoke and mirrors to imply that this is real, right. that this is actually the way that people would speak, mm -hmm. and yet it completely isn't if you broke it apart line by line. How are you giving that sense? One of the things that I, I think you should do, ironically, is speak it out loud. Okay. Because even though dialogue is not speech, if you have done your dialogue right. When you are speaking it, you should be able to get through a sentence without, for example, <sighs> and having right. to draw a breath. Okay. You should be able to uh, model it as, as a sort of emotionally spoken thing. Mm -hmm. So if you can speak it and it seems reasonable coming out of your mouth, if it seems like something you could see an actor saying, mm -hmm. you know, uh, then you have got something which is reasonable dialogue. So ironically, for, for dialogue, which is a model of speech, one of the best ways to model that dialogue is to speak it. And this is a thing that really uh, gets out of the brain of a lot of people. It's like, wait, I should actually speak what I write? That's madness. But no, really, in <laughs> fact, you know, the, the way to make sure that it sounds good is to actually sound it out, mm -hmm. speak it. If you're not a person who is, can tell whether it can be spoken, have someone you know and trust speak it and give you an idea of that experience. I do know a few screenwriters, and um, uh, the ones that I know actually always do that with a script. Right. They always get, you know, just friends. It doesn't have to be like a cast of people, but they'll, they'll get a different person for each part, and they'll have them just speak it to each other, not even really acting it out. Speak it to each other, and the screenwriter sits back behind and makes notes on the screenplay as they go. Yeah. Um, and I actually went and did this for one of them once, and it was a fascinating experience for me as a writer to see how they were treating their, um, their dialogue. It made me want to do the same thing with my writing. So has now. that movie come out yet? Um, yes, it has. Um, it, it was uh, Richard Dutcher's movie, Evil Angel. Um, so, um, well, and the and the whole thing is, is that when you're doing that, you also have the experience uh, that you always have to have as a writer, which is you know be merciless with the be as merciless yeah. with your dialogue as you are with any other part of your writing, because if it's not working, you're going to throw out the. Leader. I I got to tell you, when I'm writing the comic, uh, I am forced to get everybody's dialogue into those little bubbles. Uh -huh. And what's well, what but what's fascinating is that. By compacting the dialogue into those little bubbles, you have sentence lengths that are necessarily much more like human sentence lengths. Yes. I'm, I'm not likely to put out 
you know, long, 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 long diatribes because there's no room for the pictures. Right. And yeah, that's you, what you people want to see. Are, are you hoping that someday we transition to all this like texting slang so that you'll get so much more economy for your... Oh, you know what? I was gonna, I was gonna suggest this earlier. Um, one of the exercises that I think is really useful for me is when I take a conversation that, uh, I take a conversation that my wife and I have had or that my kids and I have had and I try and reduce it right. to oh. a, something that's right. tweetable. Um, so, by, by the way, uh, for those of you not benefiting from the video right now, Brandon and John are arguing over uh, which of the two of them has to give the writing prompt at the end of the episode, and I'm, it's John. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, uh, because Brandon is your nemesis. Right. Or no, you're I'm, his nemesis. You're, you're my nemesis. Mm, right. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry I didn't get that straight. That's uh, what I get for sitting in the middle. But the, the point of all this is you take an actual, you take an actual conversation that you've had um, with you and, and your spouse or one of your children, uh, something that was poignant, something poignant, something that was meaningful, and reduce it to something that is bloggable or even tweetable. Okay. And uh, and if it works, it's because you know you took something that was real and you made it feel right while being, you know, quite a bit smaller and shorter. Well, there you have it. And John, yes. we're going to force you to give us a writing prompt. It must be brilliant and articulate and interesting and make all of our listeners want to become even better writers. Okay. This is my gift to you as my nemesis. And such a, <laughs> such a gift it is. Okay, since we've been talking about dialogue, I think that we should have a writing prompt that is about dialogue. Okay. So I believe that what I want people to do is have a dialogue between uh, somebody ordering uh, at a drive-thru and someone taking the order, but the person the, uh, taking the order at the drive-thru is also currently being uh, held up at gunpoint. Oh. That's a really good writing prompt. I was hoping you'd flub that. Scalzi! <laughs> and this is why I Yet am again. your nemesis. Uh, well, okay. ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. This was recorded live at PenguinCon. A little noise from the audience. Yay! Everybody, you're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.